The following program and views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. And uh, Dr. Franklin Weefold is here. Hello, sir. Hello. How it's you doing? A, uh, good day. It's a good day. Always a good day when you're on the radio. It's a, you know, it's a pleasant day. It's the sun is out. It is a cool fall yeah, day. Fall is always my favorite, but it's it's terrible. My allergies get bad in the fall. You know, usually most people and sure. mine too get bad in the springtime, but. There's also now a fall component, and I think it's when the leaves start drying out or something like that. Really? So I don't know. Okay. But it's uh, it's one of those uh, two-week periods where I am constantly sniffling. Even, you know, and it would be much worse if I wasn't using my meds. I use um, acetylene and flonase, uh-huh. and it usually keeps it clear most you, of the time. You sent me a story about somebody having decided that, that um, nasal... Um, Washes, oh, we talk, saline yeah, nasal washes, reducing the the incidence or the severity of COVID nineteen. Yeah. And this is something actually we brought up years ago. Yeah. And this is back in the day when everybody was like, "Oh, you know, people are stupid. It's not a topical situation." And yeah, people who used uh, topical inhaled uh, asthma agents, you know, right. like Trelegy and Advair. Yeah, had a much lower risk of having COVID, and so you know the whole thing that was was said was that these people with lung disease are going to be the highest risk, and actually they were one of the lowest risk if they took an inhaled corticosteroid. Well, I've always said for sinuses, for everything else, use nasal saline irrigation, the neti pot. Yeah. I mean, this was invented in India five thousand years ago. The Indians were, and I'm <laughs> the Indians from. The country, India. From India. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would use salt, a salt solution and rinse out their sinuses, and, and it was a big, big deal. And huh. it came back in the country here eh, 20 years ago. People started realizing that that would help. Well, it only makes sense that if the portal of entry of COVID is your nose, right? then using irrigation to keep that virus out of your nose or to eliminate it from your nose would work. And it's been shown. Right. So I do that twice a day. But I still have these terrible allergies. Right. And most of the time I'm okay. But it's only when it's so overwhelming in terms of the amount of pollen that I get pretty messed up. But I never got COVID. Um, You know, I tested positive once. Right. And then a day later I tested negative. Yeah. And so um, I think that nasal irrigation is a really good thing. And if you can, I use this bottle called Neomed. I don't know if you've seen it on the shelves. It's yeah. a little plastic bottle, and it has a pre-measured amount of saline. Yeah. And it's a powder. You put it in, and then you use distilled water. I heat mine up to 30 seconds in a microwave. Pour it in the bottle, mix it up, and you just squirt it in your nose, and it comes out the other side. Oh, yeah. And it really makes a big difference. And I think it, 
people who do that have less of risks, less of a risk of getting common cold, and I think it's been shown to reduce the risk of getting COVID, too. I always assumed that once the bug gets you, right, it's the that it doesn't matter how many COVID things get you, but that it would they would reproduce in your system okay. and make you really sick. Um, but apparently it does matter. It matters uh, because it stays in your nose for a period of time, and there's this thing called the incubation period. Yeah. So the mucus is a big defense, and it holds particles still. Yeah. So <laughs> you've seen uh, a mouse get into one of those traps, and its hand is stuck, and it's yes. trying to move. It's the same sort of thing. That's why we have mucus. Mucus traps these particles of infectious agents. And so the bottom line is you need a lot of um, particles of infectivity yeah. in order to get the illness. And that's why, you know, this whole six-foot thing, uh, six-foot social distancing, because yeah. as the sprays move out in, in, in uh, space, the particles per cubic centimeter of air become smaller. Right. And so if you have a smaller amount that gets into you at the beginning— the less of a chance that it's going to really get bad. I will use that phrase now. Particles of infectivity. Particles of infectivity. Well, right. because, you know, viruses are little particles and bacteria are little particles. So that's one way to do it. All right. So we've got some stories in the stack. Euthanasia in Belgium. They're getting way too comfortable with uh, this yeah. concept. It's, they're, they're, well, because it's especially because I think it's somebody who... Uh, could have been helped. And there's no reason to think that they shouldn't have been helped. There's a woman with depression. She had PTSD and depression. And I guess they tried a lot of different things. Uh, I don't know because the article doesn't say what they tried. I, uh, but she but wanted she was... to die. And they helped her die. I mean, this is exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing as physicians. But... And you never give up on somebody with depression. You just this... don't. And this, not, I, I don't ever want to judge people by age, mm -hmm. but this was a 23-year-old. Right. A 23-year-old who was at a, a place yeah. where there was a terrorist attack. Right, so she was 17. Shanti DeCorte was her name. And she was 17 years old, and she escaped an explosion at an airport. And there were two other detonations, 32, yard, 32 people killed, 300 injured, and she developed PTSD and severe depression. Yeah. And she took all sorts of antidepressant medications, and she really felt like she couldn't shake it. Right. And she okay. asked the psychiatrist to help kill her, and they did. Uh, and heaven. I just am just totally and completely shocked by this. And can't imagine. Uh, it's legal in Belgium, but this would be certainly one reason why I would never want this to happen in the United States. Because she's 23, you know, Gosh. before this incident, nothing. And how many, I, I don't know, how many medication, experimental medications she tried. We're using all sorts of different things now. Um, from uh, um, infusions of, of medications that are being repurposed to uh, um, electroshock convulsive therapy um, I, you know, to hallucinogenic agents that we're even using. And, and I just can't believe they would help a 23-year-old young woman who was depressed kill herself. Right. 
Uh, I just can't understand. Amazing. And on that topic, the Thad and Alice Your Walk for Hope is tomorrow. It is a walk to raise money for research into mental illness. It is uh, at, featured at the Angus Barn. That's where you, everybody organizes. Um, it is a uh, 5K, 3.1-mile uh, run. And, you know, you can find the information at walkforhope.com. And that is going on uh, tomorrow. It's about 30-some-odd years, 33 years they've they've been doing this. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, UNC scientists may have figured out how to help heal hearts. This is one of those examples where you sent me an article. I looked it up, tried to read it, and I couldn't come up with anything out of it. There was nothing. There's some of the... Some of the connecting words, you know, the well, basically conjunctions the, I could the, understand. The bottom line is, yeah. is that what they are doing is using what we call fibroblasts. They're part of the healing system of uh, the body. So yeah. if you have an injury, uh, your fibroblasts go in there and they chew up and help all the other cells in there get rid of the dead tissue. But unfortunately, sure. they produce scars. Yeah. So what they're doing is trying to reprogram, like we reprogram stem cells, and instead of making scars, they make heart cells. Yeah. So that's a real promising thing. And the reason why I was excited about it is it's UNC, and number one, it's close by. Yeah. Number two, it's a whole different way of looking at treatment. Instead of giving medications to stop a process from happening, it's giving a medication, changing a blood cell or a type of cell in your body to regrow your old tissue or new tissue yeah. to replace the dead old tissue. And I think it's a very, very exciting thing that is happening. And it's not just being done at UNC. It's being done everywhere. But it's called repro- reprogramming Yes, the cells that help heal into making new tissue instead of just forming scars. Right. And so just think of all the places that would be useful. And for a heart attack, that's the biggest problem, is that the heart tissue doesn't take a joke. When it has a lack of oxygen for a period of time, yeah. it just dies. And it because it, it's so dependent upon a steady flow of oxygen to stay alive. So when the, the immune cells go into that area to clean it up, to clean up the dead tissue, they don't replace, at this point in time anyway, they don't replace the dead heart tissue with new heart tissue. The fibroblast, these are the, they make what sounds like fiber. Yeah. And it turns that area into a scar, which can mean it doesn't contract anymore, and it can cause electrical problems because the electricity doesn't flow naturally through those areas like it does through heart cell tissues. So it's exciting. They've made some progress. They've been able to make fibroblasts change from scar-forming um, mm-hmm. cells into uh, forming new tissue. So I think it's a really, really exciting thing. I know it's going to happen. If you can turn scar into better-looking or better-performing well, stuff. Just, just, it's replacing dead tissue with live tissue of what it used to be, be what, it the brain, be it the heart, 
be it muscle in the body. I think it's really exciting. It will be it will be a factor in cosmetic surgery. Absolutely. I know it will. Mickey Absolutely. Rourke has got some possibilities. He might end up looking <laughs> making, okay. Yeah, making yourself healthier. Making right? yourself look healthier. Yeah. All right. The telephone number is 919-860-9783. A one-hour show on heart health. 919-860-9783. Heart Health Radio. Okay, this one's not even close. This one's not even close. Put those headphones on. A Wendy's in Stanley, Stanley, North Carolina, in Stanley County, fired their only Down syndrome employee. Now, I'm no expert on HR, and I'm not an expert on Down syndrome, but even I know you don't do this. Well, but not only that. Okay, let's just look at this person as a regular employee. Right. Okay. 20 years. Oh. This man gave his time and effort at Wendy's. Yes. Dennis Peek, P-E-E-K. He worked in Stanley, North Carolina. I don't know where Stanley is, do you? Stanley County. Yeah. I'll look it up. Where is it at? Anyway. Right. But he worked there for 20 years. And then one day, a general manager pulled him to side and said, I have to fire you because you can't do the job like a quote-unquote normal person. Oh, gosh. I mean, what does that mean? And, I mean, breaking this this man's heart, Right. he gave his, his heart and soul to this place. Right. And I guess I don't understand the decision um, where it is. Um, so the corporate office had a thing <laughs> where they said, we're committed to creating a welcoming and inclusive environment. And they did say it was a mistake yes. and lapse yeah. in protocol. So the um, uh, corporate head of Wendy's, I guess, it's, sure. uh, they're going to try to get him back. And I think that what we need to say about this is that you don't fire an employee after 20 years and unless there's a real difficult situation the employee got him or herself into. Right. And then let alone that this person had Down syndrome and had overcome societal problems and, and problems, you know, with um, functioning to be a successful employee for 20 years. And they just fire him. I right. uh, just... It's just one of the worst things I've read all week. Kudos at least to the corporate office in admitting that this was a mistake. By the way, Stanley County is just our side of Charlotte. Just just east of Charlotte. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to have to go there and I'm going to find this guy. Find the the guy? I'm going to find him. I'm going to come and see Dennis Peak (laughs) in Stanley, North Carolina. If you are in that area or if you go by, go by the Wendy's. And and if Stanley is if Dennis is working in Stanley, um, uh, make sure you give him a pat on the back. Very cool, John in Kerry. How you doing, John? Hey, I'm doing great. Hope you all are. What's going on? I've got just one simple question. All my life, I remember my grandmother and mom fifty years. Yeah, would put a little bit of uh, vapor rub either on your chest, your throat, and sometimes damage a bit on your nose. John, John, this is the worst connection. Go ahead and oh. tell me what she would do. I think I think you're talking about somebody who would put something on food. Yeah, 
What would she do? Is the big vapor rub is safe to put over your nostrils? I've heard that it's not safe for your lungs to do that. But I remember growing up, my mom and grandmother used to do that. So which is is it safe or not safe? All right. That's knowing knowing John that we heard. One-tenth of what it is you said. I think I understand. I didn't hear what he said. John wants to know whether Vicks Vapo Rub is actually a decent medicine. Uh, okay, so what is what does it do? What, I mean, the, the thing that I always, when I was a kid, yeah, I didn't understand why you rubbed it on someone's chest. Right, right. right. That's not because the medicine goes into the chest. What does it do? It is a it 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 floats through the air. Yes, and gets to your nose. Yeah. So if you if you really want um, to have the benefit of it, just put it right underneath your nose. Sure. It'll get there right away. But I guess you know people have a cough and congestion, and and they're thinking, yeah, I'll apply it directly to the chest. It's not going through your skin, right, or your muscles or your bones into the chest. It's it's an aroma that gets into your nose, and what it does is it opens up the nasal passages by constricting the blood flow, so that you can't get the um, the fluid into the nose to shrink the nasal cavities. It just mm. sort of opens them up, and so that's how it works. And you know it it's 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 okay in terms of what it does. It makes you feel better symptomatically, but it doesn't do anything in terms of fighting off the germs or the bacteria or the viruses. And that's okay, because it makes you feel better. My mom used to put it on my chest, and I didn't understand, because then I could not pull the blankets up over me. Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want that stuff on my blankets. Yeah. So so it's made of camphor and eucalyptus oil sure. and menthol. Yeah. And those are all what we call vasoconstrictors, and so they constrict the flow of blood in the nasal passages, uh, allow the uh, uh, mucus and stuff to go away and allow it to open up. But it's not a cure. It's just a symptomatic treatment. And you know, and you know what else they use it for now? What's that? Um, did you ever see Silence of the Lambs? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I so don't in the autopsy, yes. they would all put Vicks VapoRub right underneath their nostrils. Yes, yes. And that's mainly because of the menthol and the camphor because the smell – would be taken away uh, sure. by all these things occupying the smell receptor. So that's another reason why they use Vicks Because if you're in a room with something that smells, uh, you don't want to. Yeah. All right, John, thank you. John from Cary. D in Chapel Hill. Hi, welcome to the show. How you doing, D? I'm fine. How are you, Dave? Just I ask the terrific. Question. Thank are you. Are better my feet are much better thank you i'm walking uh, you know, in everything I, I saw him today he came to let me in there and he was walking and i'm going what's going on <laughs> well great. that's great you can't um, stay in doctor, a wheelchair forever all right go ahead d okay doctor you said you were going to try the new um covet shot uh i believe it's novavax um yeah yeah, it's, uh, a, it's been approved. I haven't seen anybody take it. I know it. it's not the mRNA. I can't find it. Everywhere I go, I'm I, asking yeah. you have and that. It's and not out. have it. Yeah. So it's been approved by the FDA. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. And I, I've been asking around for it, too, because I wanted to get it. But nobody yeah. seems in this area to have, have gotten it. And the way Novavax works, it's actually a protein. So they assembled in the lab. 
a protein that is that has the um, shape and the amino acid composition of the spike protein of the original, um, mm-hmm. uh, what is it called, A, type A right. uh, COVID. Version. And so um, the way it works is that it gets into your system and it creates, your body creates antibodies against that protein um, piece and then they cross-react with the actual spike protein on the COVID um, uh, virus. The problem is that it came so late to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they had actually made the protein God, the first few months of the uh, pandemic, right around the beginning of 2020, but they didn't have the financial back in, backing that Pfizer did or mm-hmm. Moderna did. It took them mm-hmm. this long, up to about six months ago, to finally have all the data and everything. They, I was wrong. They had the data pretty quickly, but yeah. they didn't have the manufacturing capability. And so that prevented them from up. getting it done. Um, yeah, I think it's an English company. Um, are you still, are you going to get a COVID shot? Uh, I have. Um, so I have gotten the first no, two. Mean, no, we all got them last year and the year before. But this fall, are you going to get a new one? Yeah, I already did. So I, I have had four. Okay, so I got Moderna, 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 which the and the third one was the Moderna booster, and then I got actually the new uh, one that came out against um, Omicron. Yeah, Omicron, and so I'm I don't know I got as many as possible, (laughs) and I'm gonna get fourth one. I'm I've had four. I'm sorry. Was the fourth one that you got Pfizer? Uh, Yeah. And, and I think it's a, they actually say now it's okay to mix and match. The yeah. interesting thing, the first one didn't bother me. Yeah. The second one, I thought I was going to die. No, it yeah. wasn't that bad. But I had, for about six hours, yeah. I had aches. I had a low-grade fever. Um, no respiratory-type things. I just felt drained. The third one, yeah. very little. Yeah. The fourth one, Nothing. In yeah. fact, it, it was like I thought to myself, did I really get something? I mean, did I just get a saline shot? Yeah. Because I didn't really feel anything with the fourth one at all. I mean, I just went about my business. Now, maybe I got it late in the afternoon. Yeah. But so maybe just maybe all those symptoms came on while I was sleeping. You know what I mean? Um, right. I don't know. But yes, I got them all. And um, I've had some very interesting experiences with patients coming to see me wanting me to say not for them to not get the vaccine right. so like, we're really out of time but i'd like to talk about that when we get a chance okay we'll, we'll talk about that coming up yeah there's there's still a lot of debate and i want to ask you about what d mentioned which is mrna i want an explanation yeah. of this coming up here on heart health radio Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefold. This is Heart Health Radio, the Heart Health Radio Network. Um, We're having a little trouble getting in contact with Rose Hoban. Rose will be on the show in just a couple of moments. Um, There's something you pointed out. 
research about vegetarians oh, yeah. and depression. <laughs> now, I know the explanation. I don't want to joke about depression if there's real depression involved. Yeah, uh, I, I found that this article was amusing in several ways. Um, the arguments over whether you should eat meat or not yeah. um, can have two factors. One is, you know, the, the, the actual biochemical things that get in your body. Do they hurt you or do they not hurt you? Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people who think, and I disagree, that meat is the evil, you know, food, that it will cause all sorts of horrible things. Okay. But that's also on top of the vegetarian uh, concept that animals uh, should not be eaten because they are sentient beings they think sure well that's so so you have the mix of that always and so what they did was they went and looked at people who were vegetarians and looked at people who were meat eaters right and they sort of said are you happy or you're not happy (laughs) and all right the vegetarians weren't weren't happy now the question always becomes is that because vegetarianism causes depression or is it because the type of people who hate meat eaters or right, who think right, you shouldn't right. eat meat yeah. are naturally more depressed. Now, I don't know. Um, I don't know very <laughs> many vegetarians, do you? No, not really, no. But, but the it, ones but, I have known, uh, and again, this is not a scientific thing that no, I'm going to no, tell no. you, okay. but they're usually very, very angry people. Um, <laughs> you know. Okay. I, I, did you see that? Or, did you see that thing where a guy was... You know, just a normal, regular college guy yeah. was walking by a group of protesters who were protesting that this restaurant served meat, okay? <laughs> so there was this woman, you know, she had Birkenstocks on, and, and, you know, she was, you know, obviously from California. Yeah. And he walked up, and he saw that they were doing this. He went over to the hot dog stand, got a hot <laughs> yes. dog. Yes. He yes. walked up to her and started eating the hot dog, and this woman just absolutely freaked out. Yes. Screaming, crying, everything. So, look, if you want to be a vegetarian for health reasons, I understand that. Right. Okay. Right. But right. I don't think you need to worry that being a vegetarian, you know, eating vegetables will cause depression. I think if you want to be a vegetarian, <laughs> For those reasons, you need to ask yourself, are you depressed? And we're talking to you, Chapel Hill. If you are surrounded by people who are also vegetarians and, you know, and Birkenstock wearing. I wear Birkenstock. Well, I've got some on got right some now. On. Not, to, not, to, not to draw a, a too fine a line here, but you got to get along with people. Yeah. If you, if you believe in. You know, vegetarianism. Well, I mean, I've been called, I've been, you know, by some vegetarians, I've been called a murderer <laughs> while eating uh, my uh, Whopper. Um, and, you know, there are, uh, I think, legitimate questions about the, what's healthy. Uh, clearly, vegetables are good for you. Yeah, Un- no, unless, sure of course, yeah. now I tell my kids who are, you know, um, uh, they're all for organic stuff, right? Yes. And yes. every time I see, Outbreak of organic food kills six from E. coli, you know. Yes, yeah. There are dangers to everything. If you don't, you know, organic means what? It means cow dung for a lot of these uh, organic farmers. (laughs) If you don't wash your vegetables, and even though I say play in the dirt, I don't necessarily want you to play in the cow dung. Yeah, no, no, no. 
or if you if you have vegetables grown with cow dung, wash them, please. Right. Right. Okay, because you can get a nasty E. coli from cow dung. Okay. Rose Hoban joins us from North Carolina Health News. And Rose, you could just jump in on this topic because I think you you may in fact have some experience. You went to school in Berkeley, didn't you? Yeah. All right. Berkeley's so, a great now listen, it's a great place. So I, I, I applied there. Farmers market. Well, no, it probably uh, does. All right, Rose. We've got incredible farmers market here. <laughs> are you vegetarian? Are you vegetarian? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Although I, I mean that uh, it's yes. anathema here in North Carolina, but I'm I eat almost no pork now. Okay. Because my doctor was like, "Yeah, your cholesterol, you are right on the border." Yeah. And so I've been able to avoid yeah. taking medication. Uh, by kind of going more Mediterranean. So yeah. more olive oil, lots more seafood. Yeah, um, a Mediterranean diet. Yeah, Mediterranean yeah. diet. I, oh, you know, listen, I love meat, but I'm all for vegetables, okay? Don't get me wrong. Right. And I, In fact, I take three vegetable capsules every day to get even more vegetables. Yeah, you know? yeah. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I am against veggies. I'm all for veggies. The story, Rose, was yeah. that vegetarians... When depressed. you do surveys, they're they're less happy. Yeah, more depression. And I, I think, think I'm not sure that, that I don't think the vegetables are what doing it. I think it is a baseline <laughs> of people who are of that. You know. Um, no, I think it's just they need a steak. Yeah, I guess I don't. <laughs> but I don't listen. I don't blame you for not eating pork if you had a borderline cholesterol because of yeah, the yeah. yeah because there are um, saturated fatty acids in pork. Yep that yep. um, can lead to a higher cholesterol level. And we but, eat less beef as well. We really exactly. are um, judicious about our yeah. consumption of beef now. Yeah. So I think we maybe have it twice a month. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like you, Dr. Riefel, I take a vegetarian iron supplement. Oh, so great. I think it's basically ground-up kale. It's, yeah. Um, and there is also a prescription iron pill now. Mm-hmm. That is what we call iron polysaccharide and oh, Niferex. Okay. And that's actually, I almost prescribed that 100%. Not because there's a vegetable component to it, but because, I don't know if you've ever taken uh, a 325 milligram full Ooh, sulfate yeah. pill. Mm-mm. No. I, I thought I was going to die when I put it in my in my stomach because really? it just sat there like a rock, which is what yep. it is. Yep. But this iron polysaccharide is iron um, sprayed into a polysaccharide base, and you it, you can't get constipated from it, and it doesn't hurt. So, oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because like I I used to work with uh, uh, pregnant women, and you know they'd all be say like, oh, you need iron, and they'd come to me and they'd be like, right. oh my god, like no, wow, well, help. <laughs> Well, so it's it's bad. It's bad. So Rose, we need to talk about the EMS departments. Yeah, across yeah. North Carolina, understaffed, overburdened, and Doctor Weefold came in today saying, "You know, we're going to talk about the crisis in yeah. the ER." The ER crisis, I think, yeah. is the also same a things huge going on. I, I think yeah. it's yeah, it's all it's EMS and it's in its emergency room. Is it a staffing issue in terms of shortage? Is it a too many patient issue, or is it a comp- com- uh, combination of both? Yes. It's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. Yeah. Too few staffers, lots more patients. And I thought this was really interesting, the, uh, my, my team members who wrote this article, that I didn't realize that there was a change 
in North Carolina law that allowed EMTs to um, do other work so that they're not necessarily riding around in trucks, but like they might be working in a clinic. Mm-hmm. And um, that meant that there was more dilution of the EMT stat, uh, workforce. And then if you've read this story, thinking about what EMTs do, that starting pay in a place like Buncombe County was only $18 an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's kind of shocking. So they, they, Buncombe County bumped it up. Um, and I think that that's an issue for a lot of counties is the, is the salary. Like you can't afford to live on that. You, you can't afford to like raise a family on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and I remember back in the nineties when I was working in a, a public emergency room in Washington, D.C., and we were the receiving uh, emergency department for gunshot wounds. And, you know, we were a major trauma, uh, right. level one major trauma. And you'd have a medic come in, and I remember one time the guy was like, oh, yeah, you know, we picked up this guy. He was obviously dead, but we were doing compressions on him because we were afraid people were going to try and kill us. Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, God, this is what these guys are doing on a daily basis. Like, that's pretty intense. Right. So you you got to pay people. Amen. And then And then finally, um, crisis in the emergency department, I'm going to give you a preview of something that we're going to write this week, but yes. I had a conversation with the state um, health secretary on Thursday, and he was telling me, that the Department of Health and Human Services has a 24% vacancy rate. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the vacancy rate in state-operated facilities, which is primarily psychiatric facilities, so Central Regional Hospital, uh, uh, Broughton Hospital, Cherry Hospital out in Goldsboro, um, they have, some of those places have upwards to almost 40% vacancy. Mm-hmm. And so we, he said, we've got people boarding in emergency departments looking for a psychiatric bed, and we have the bed, but we don't have the staff to operate the bed. Right. Right. So he's going to be talking to legislators about that on Tuesday morning uh, in the Health and Human Services Oversight Committee. We'll be writing about it. We're you know gathering some. So I'm giving a, I'm tipping his hand Good. a little bit, but this is a that's a big deal. Rose, thank you, um, and we'll talk to you next week. NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org is the website. Thank Thanks, you. fellas. All right. You have care. a great week. Yep. Bye-bye. We've got Chris in Raleigh. Thank you, Chris. How you doing? Hey, guys. Pretty good. Good. What's up? Well, I called a few months back about uh, I have peripheral neuropathy. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Weefald had uh, recommended that, that I go see a neurologist. Great. And, uh, and I did, and uh, they did all the blood work and the nerve conduction study and I guess some muscle stimulation study, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, long story short is the, uh, it's, it's idiopathic, but he said in his report, the, the neurologist that conducted the, the nerve conduction study said he couldn't rule out uh, tarsal nerve entrapment. So I was just wondering, is it worth 
following up on that or sure. should I just, um, you know, chalk it up to, you know, a, an unknown cause and what, what I can do. I've started taking alpha lipoic acid and okay. that helps somewhat. Yeah. But is there anything else I can do as far as, you know, non-medical procedures? It's, it's hard to know, um, especially when it comes down to being, you know, in that idiopathic range. Um, what that means is, is that they don't have uh, a diagnosis to give you as the cause. So it's like, okay, uh, your nerves started acting up, but it's not from diabetes, it's mm-hmm. not from lupus, it's not from anything else. The interesting, intriguing thing is they say it could be from a nerve entrapment. Where did they think the nerve was possibly being entrapped? Well, he, he just said tarsal nerve entrapment. I think I'm just going by memory on the report. but Yeah. But it's both feet, so I don't know what the chances of, you know, both feet having an entrapped nerve right. at the same time, basically, yeah. is. So, Remind me, you, you know, told me. I don't want to I... go through the time to, you know, have to do more imaging studies and all that other stuff. Sure, sure. Where exactly is it hurting in your feet? Describe to me, in like, your own words, just where it hurts. Yeah, it's it's in my toes and the balls of my feet, and then sometimes it, it hurts mostly when I go to sleep and uh-huh. on the, I guess on the plantar on the arch basically, but sure. it's kind of like a pressing feeling in, in the right. arch. And so that what happens yeah. when, when I go to sleep, what, what the, I guess what they're saying is that where the nerves are traveling through the ankle into the bones and, and around, you know, the cartilage they're they're covered by a sheath, um, sort of a fibrous material that sort of protects them. So the classic, problem with nerve entrapment is in the hands and that's called carpal tunnel syndrome Mm -hmm. and the reason why that's called that is because right if you look at your wrist and you look where the thumb and uh joins uh and that big thumb muscle is right there is where the nerves for the hands come through it's called a tunnel uh and it's it's just um basically nerve tissue going through some fibrous uh, outer coverings when you use your hands a lot, so piano players um, and people who work with their hands at uh, doing manual dexterity type things, that constant movement can cause scar tissue uh, in that tunnel, which compresses the nerve. And so what's the classic symptoms? Numbness, tingling, pain in the palmar surface of the hand. And then it gets hard to move your fingers uh, without them hurting. And so a lot of people have this. I diagnose it probably twice a week in my patients, and that you wind up having these nerve conduction studies to see if the nerves really are being compressed. And then what they do is they go in and they, they remove that scar tissue from that region, and they, it's surgical. So it can happen in the feet, um, and the way you'd have to have it diagnosed is through some imaging studies. Um, and honestly, I don't know whether I would recommend that to you um, beyond um, you know what you are doing now, because of your desire really not to be medically treated. But um, it's difficult to know. And the only way to know would be to see if there is evidence of the nerve roots being compressed. And I I think that would be the next step if you wanted to take that step. However, carpal tunnel uh, syndrome, which is the the carpals are in the um, hands and the tarsals that with a T are in the feet, um, the tarp, the metatarsal uh, surgery is a lot more difficult. 
and a lot less of a guarantee of being successful. So um, in terms of natural type things, I think you're on the right track. Um, If there's an inflammatory component, uh, and sometimes neuropathies can be from inflammation of the nerves, you might want to try some natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric or milk, thistle, or ginger. Those are all natural components uh, of a diet, and uh, you really can't overdose them. And for me, uh, particularly my um, diffuse body aches and inflammation got so much better when I started on turmeric and ginger and milk thistle. So that might be one thing for you to do. Um, but always check with your physician to make sure that's going to be safe for you. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Good luck, and I'm sorry you're suffering. All right. Take care. Thank you. Telephone number 919-860-9783. Got about 10 minutes left in this radio program. Call us up right now. Heart Health Radio, FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. You know you make me wanna kick my heels up and throw my hands up and throw my hands. You're listening to Heart Health Radio and Danny and Creedmore is who we're shouting out. Who's Danny? Well, I don't know. Danny's he's on line one. Danny, how are you? Doing great. Uh, well, as well as I can be. Yeah. I've had some, I've had some oral surgery. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna try to make it as brief as I can. I had. Uh, I've been dealing with oral surgery for about uh, three months now. Yes. I had multiple, I had 20 teeth taken out at one time wow. in the hospital. Uh, you know, sedation, that sort of thing, because I had uh, had a, uh, a little heart problem. Yes. Uh, so during that process, uh, they uh, put some type of air hose up the left side of my nostril my left nostril yes in the process they poked a hole through the roof of my mouth ouch oh heavens okay now they went back in after that after two or three weeks there yeah went back in and did uh some stuff in the office there to put fat in the thing and uh that was supposed to grow in and uh that didn't work so the the last go around was they put me back in the hospital, more surgery. Yes. Now they, they folded some fat or skin off my mouth, yeah. in over the hole, and this is supposed to work. I am one, uh, uh, well, tomorrow will be one week into, no, uh, well, I'm one week into this surgery as far as the uh, healing process going. I am still tasting tear duct. Uh, you know, I can tell teared up because it's salty water. Okay. I'm still tasting that. Uh, I just, I, I, they're talking about if this doesn't work, uh, you know, uh, I need some dentures. They pull 20 teeth at one time. They, Danny, uh, so if I understand this correctly, they're grafting to try to repair the hole that was created in the surgery. Correct. Oh this my. is the second go around. And this is like the, the you know, I, I've been dealing with this for, you know, about two and a half months. And after, if this does work, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, they're still going to have to go in there and cut all this apart. So oh. I have to deal with this another uh, three or four weeks. Yes. But if it does not work, what are, what is the possibilities? I mean, 
uh, my, I, I, I was a machine designer for years. I, a problem shooter, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, I know how the heart stents work. Uh, I cannot, uh, I, I can't understand why they couldn't take one of the material, uh, that you would put in a heart yes. stent and stretch over that and glue in or staple in somewhere. So, you know, with some, some type of, tissue that would grow all right hang on uh, I, I that's just let me tell you out of my area of expertise right um who who are the doctors you're working with again what type of doctors are you working with uh should i say it over there i mean no don't say their names but what yeah. kinds of doctors yeah so you're, you're working with a, are, ear nose and throat are, or these are these are uh these are dental these are actually surgical Dental people, I, I yeah. guess. I'm Dental working surgeons. With, yeah. I, I'm, wor- I'm working with one of the trainee hospitals. Yeah. If that tells you, that should tell you a lot. Right yeah, there. a medical hospital and a, yeah. and a teaching but, hospital. I just, you know, I'm going to tell you, that is, there are a lot of things I know about, but I don't want to uh, pretend I that I know about what I'm, I'm not throwing any stones at as most part of those folks have been uh, super to me all these years, but. It just seems like right now they can't find their damn hat. Oh, I understand that. Excuse my mouth. No, no, that's no. okay. Danny's self-censored. That's wonderful, Danny. We didn't we didn't have to push a button on you at all. <laughs> all right. Well, Danny, I wish you luck. We wish you luck. Okay. Um, know, sounds like it just sounds time. like it's a lot of things that you're going through, and and, and we it, just we wish you uh, uh, the best of luck in getting it getting it all taken care of. And and sometimes sometimes you just got to admit it takes time. Yeah, these things can you know, and Danny, you're being put through a through a ringer, but you'll come out good at the other end. Um, Harvard University has done a study, and they. Somebody somewhere there has said that a fetus knows if they are transgender. I just don't know where they're coming up with this stuff. They've somebody who went to college. Came well, up and you with know that the other theory. thing is that this is Harvard, and they they always talk about you know evidence based you know conclusions yes. in medicine. Yes, there is just absolutely no evidence for this. I mean, how could you get evidence? Are you going to talk to a transgender person when they're 21 and say, do you yeah. remember when you were a fetus? Yeah. You knew that you were transgender? And I, I guess the objection I have to all of this is the politis, politiliza, politicalization of medicine goes yeah. on. Yeah. And whether you support uh, transgender issues, which I think um, we should all love each other and support each other no matter who we are. Right. Um, getting these types of stories into you know, newspapers and stuff with the, you know, the, the imprimatur of being Harvard. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And I think that we need to back off and stop trying to say, because we're Harvard, we know better than you do, and people are transgender in right. the womb. Right. Ridiculous, is in it, my opinion. Is it true that there are a lot of college-educated, really smart people who've come up with some things lately that are just dumb. Yeah. Is it true? It is true, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm just pointing out that as somebody who went to a 
went to a state school. You know, I'm just telling you, some of the people from the big colleges are, are not that smart. All right, now there's the theme of the show. This is Hard Health Radio. Be back next week.